devices, whichever one, uh, please turn once again to Romans chapter 8, what we read earlier. Our focus this morning will be um, in verses 26, 27, and um, part of 20, 28. So let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for another day like this, Lord, where we have the, the great privilege of hearing you speak to us. Lord, we plead with you that that will be so for each and every one of us. Lord, we truly need the Holy Spirit, both speaking and hearing, listening and understanding, and even applying. And so, Lord, we ask that beyond ourselves, O oh Lord, you will show us the Lord Jesus. Lord, that's our greatest desire. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would please be gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, a couple of days ago, while I was um, preparing to this sermon, I stumbled upon um, a book, a very interesting title, um, The Christian Atheist. That was the title of, of the book. And in one of the chapters where the writer was dealing with prayer, he, he began with this very interesting story, which after reading it, I, they didn't know whether to, to laugh or cry. He said, um, a pastor once asked his church to pray that God would shut down a neighborhood bar close to, to the church, probably because it was you know, constituting a nuisance to, to them. And so on an evening, the whole church gathered for a prayer meeting and there they were pleading with God to get rid um, of the evils of this bar. And so a few weeks later, um, lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. And having heard about the church's prayer crusade, the, the bar owner promptly sued the church. And when the court day finally arrived, the bar owner passionately argued that God struck his bar with lightning because of the church members' prayers. Now, the, the, the pastor backtracked and he brushed aside the accusations of the bar owner. He affirmed that, yes, that they had prayed that, you know, God would do something about the bar, but that the congregation really didn't expect anything to happen. The judge leaned back in his chair with a mix of amusement and confusion on his face, and he said, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Right in front of me is a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who doesn't. I don't know if that's someone here this morning who, as a believer, you probably read in the Bible that, you know, we are exalted to pray at all times. We, we are told to cast all our anxieties upon God, for he cares for us. Jesus reminded his disciples to, to pray without ceasing, not to lose, lose hope and not to faint. In the Bible, we see examples of people praying. 
in the Old Testament, you've probably read of Hannah, who was barren and who was mocked by her co-wife, if we could call her that. And her response was to turn to God in prayer. The early church, after the ascension, while waiting for Pentecost, they were praying. After Pentecost, they were praying. While they faced persecution, they prayed. And Jesus himself, his whole ministry was characterized by prayer. And we could see all those exaltations, all those examples of God, of, of the children of God praying and God answering their prayers. Yet somehow, we do not just probably doubt that God will do something. That we struggle, or probably you struggle to pray. And for me, it's, it's, it's a personal thing because when I had started this a couple of, of weeks and months ago because in my personal life, I found out that I was also struggling with, with prayer. And there was one question that constantly haunted me. If I see the importance and, necessary, and the necessity of, of prayer in the Bible, why do I still struggle with this? Why do I believe each and every one of us here this morning we would confess that we struggle with prayer? And for me, the, the passage that answered it is that answered that question of mine is one that I want us to, to consider this morning in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, 27, and, and following. Where Paul says, Likewise, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit helps us. In our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now there are some words in the Bible that when we see, we know that we have to um, consider uh, the things that precede it. We read, therefore. And here, when we see likewise, we, we have to look back and see what, what is the writer trying, trying to say. And indeed, this, this whole chapter, um, chapter 8, Romans, it's, it's one that talks about the Holy Spirit and his work in the life of the Christian. See, the Holy Spirit is forever, the, the Holy Spirit is forever at work in the believer's life. See, who is the Christian? The Christian, as, as Paul says in verse 2, is one who has been set free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so, therefore, the believer stands before God, not condemned. He stands justified. And he begins, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is because the Holy Spirit has, has walked in the life of of that believer. And so he, he is the one who walks according to the Spirit in verse 4. He, he sets his mind on the things of the Spirit in verse 5. The believer is one who, who pleases God, verse 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for he does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But because the Holy Spirit walks in the life of the Christian, 
he pleases God. And also the, the believer is one who belongs to God. Verse 9 says, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you belong to God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit in verse 11. We are sons of God by virtue of our adoption. If we look at verse 14, 15, 19, and 23. And as uh, Bromichael was telling us in the children's talk in verse 16, we are all children of God. You can see that in verse 16 and verse 21. There is another thing about the Christian. If we look at verse 17, it says, Then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. And so Paul talks about all these things about the believer, which you can call blessings and privileges because we have been brought to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have been brought to trust in the finished work of Christ. But yet he, he uses this word to describe them in, or to describe us and all believers in verse 26. He calls them those who are weak. It is likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Would you call yourself someone who is weak? I mean, those are not the ones that are sort of elevated in our world today. Um, as as um, Romica was going on, and when he got to, after he had said this was the tallest finger, um, I was expecting him to say this is the shortest, but... He, he didn't. Um, those who are, are weak are not those who are, who are elevated in the world. But yet, with all these blessings, with all these descriptions, Paul didn't say, you know, it helps them or you in your weakness. He says he helps us. He, he includes himself in that. And it's for each and every one of us here this morning who are believers. You see, believers are still terribly weak to live the Christian life. You and I cannot live the the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. See, of yourself, you are woefully weak. And, and, And this weakness, we can also call it one that is sort of helpless, one of disability, one of infirmity. And that is why each and every one of us needs that very help of the Holy Spirit. And as it says, this help, which it describes here, this weakness, it says, is in prayer. Before we come to that, uh, let me just once again uh, describe this, this, this very word of, of weakness, which we can also find in other parts of, of Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. He, he, he uses it to describe the limited human nature. It can be one of, of sickness, as we see in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. 
And it can also be one of inner poverty or incapacity, the, the inability to do something. And it can also mean economic weakness, poverty. In Acts chapter 20, verse, verse 35. And this help that the Holy Spirit offers to those who, who are weak is not, it's not one of condition. Yeah, he says for a certainty that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit helps us. He didn't say the Spirit might help us. But it's one of certainty. It's not one of, it's not, it's not condition. And it's not a one-time event. It's not the Holy Spirit helped us or will help us. It is a continuous one. He helps us in our weakness. He is always active in our lives. Now, how does, this, how does this weakness, as Paul points out, how does this weakness manifest in prayer? I just want to point out three, um, three ways that from this passage that I see that the Holy Spirit helps uh, believers. Number one is the fact that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The second one is that we do not know the will of God. And the third is that oftentimes we do not know the ultimate purpose of prayer. So let's look at the first one. For we do not know, the second part of verse 26, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I don't know if you've ever been in, in, in specific situations and you want to pray, but somehow the words are just not there. You do not have the, the right words to pray in those situations. And here we can call it maybe a, a mental weakness. We do not have the words. That's why at times when we, we gather together to pray, we ask that God will give us the right words. And not only, that, not only do we not have the words, Oftentimes we, we pray amiss. We think, well, this is what I want. Back to the analogy of our relationship with our parents. For instance, if as a student of Near East, you, you walk into the uh, international office, which you probably don't love going to, and you are there maybe at the end of a semester or the beginning of a semester, you pick up your invoice for the new semester and then you call up your parents. Okay, this is how much my, my fees are. You just state it. You know what to say in that instance. But when it comes to God, it is most times different. Because first of all, prayer is not something that we, that we initiate. Prayer is not something that we begin of ourselves. When we, when we look back at, at, the, at the Garden of Eden, it was God who walked in the midst of the people, who, who initiated that conversation with Adam and Eve. And that was before the fall. How much more after the fall where sin separates us from him? Yet he has been gracious both to, to speak to us and also to to send a son to bridge that gap. And through that, he invites us to a communication with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I just have two um, biblical illustrations to, um, 
really point out this fact of not knowing what we ought to pray. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we know the story of, of Paul praying about the tongue in the flesh. And in verse 7, he says, A tongue was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to, har- to harass me, to keep me from being considered. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. And in that instance, Paul was definitely praying amiss because he was praying out of what God actually wanted. He was pleading with God to take this away. But that was not God's purpose for him at that point. And he goes on to say, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And in Philippians chapter 1 verse Verse 23, while he was in prison writing to the Philippians, he talks about being hard-pressed between two, my desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He, he, didn't, he didn't know at that point what to, what to really ask for. And for us, that is often the case. In some specific situations, we do not know what to really ask for. And we struggle with that. And that is where, once again, the the help of the Spirit comes up. And he says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And an intercessor intercessor is someone who, who acts as an advocate, who comes in between two parties. And here the, the Holy Spirit steps in between us and the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Isn't it a a great privilege that God initiates prayer and ultimately the one who truly prays for us, who intercedes for us is the very third person of the the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself. He, He intercedes for the believers. And not just does the Holy Spirit intercede for us, we know that Christ also intercedes for us. And in Romans 8.34, which we did not read, he, Paul writes that Christ Jesus who died for us, who is sat at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And so we have both the Holy Spirit interceding for us and the Son of God interceding for us. And of course, the, the, the intercessions are, are different, but here we are just focusing on, on what the Holy Spirit does. And how does the Spirit do this for us? How, how does the Spirit intercede for the believers? He says he does this with groanings too deep for words. As I try to, to really understand what this very words, this very word groaning of the Holy Spirit means. Um, I stumbled on a couple of of understandings of it. But this is this is the one I I I, I was quite um, convinced about. Because if, if we read um, we read rather um, verse twenty where he talks about creation being subject to, to futility. Yeah, he, he talks about creation groaning in verse twenty two for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth 
That is one, the creation in that sense, groans. Then also he talks about the Christians, the believers, also groaning, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. If you've ever been in, in, in sort of distress and you just utter a, a sigh, there's something deep within you that is really hurting you. It's that sense of, of distress. But the question that came on my mind is, does the Holy Spirit who himself is pure, who is himself God, does he, does he suffer distress? If the creation which is subject to futility groans, if we groan, does this mean that the Holy Spirit himself, you know, groans in that sense? But I believe that what actually happens is that the Holy Spirit leads us to, to utter those groans in that sense, to utter those, those deep sighs. Again, if we, if we go to verse 14 and 16, we see that the Holy Spirit is the very one who causes us to cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit himself does not cry, Abba, Father, because the Holy Spirit is not, in that sense, the son of the Father. So he doesn't call the, God the Father in that sense. That is not what defines their relationship. And so the Holy Spirit himself does not cry, Abba, Father, but he causes us to cry, Abba, Father. And that same sense that the Holy Spirit himself does not suffer distress, but in our prayers, he causes us to groan. But again, I, in the past, I've seen that, you know, a lot of people have, you know, taught this to, to have something to do with maybe tongues and all that. But yet, I, it causes that these groanings are too deep for words. They are not expressed in words. But yet, they are not unintelligent. Now, one is that this whole passage has nothing to do with the gifts of the Spirit. So we, we should ensure that we do not characterize this as meaning tongues in that sense. If we are just reading um, the plain text, all it says is this. It causes us to express those distress. But yeah, they are not... They are not wordless. They are not unintelligent. And so, so in the same way that the creation groans, in the same way that we believers groan, waiting for our, our adoption, in prayer, when we do not know what to say, the Holy Spirit causes us to utter those those or express those, those distress. And the second way that we struggle with prayer, which the Holy Spirit helps us, apart from the fact that we do not know what we ought to pray for, it's also that in many specific instances and situations, we do not know what the will of God is. In verse 27, it says, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yes, we, we know that 
God's will is for each and every one of us to, to live according to um, his word, to, to live and walk in line with the Bible. God's will is for each and every one of us to be holy. But in many situations, say, you, you want to choose if you should travel to or if you should live in, in Nigeria. Let's say you, you're deciding if you should live in Lagos or Abuja. Or for one who wants to settle in Cyprus, if you should live in Guinea or Magusa. Of course, there are certain things that would you know, cause you to come to those conclusions or to make a decision. But you do not know exactly what the will of God is. Or you, to use a classic example, if you want to choose a spouse, you, we often do not know for a certain what the will of God is in that sense. Of course, we know certain principles that should guide us. And just like Paul, in the, in, in the Corinthians and Philippians that I'd mentioned, he did not know the will of God. But the difference is that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. And that is how he intercedes for us again. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. It says he who searches the mind of the spirit. The father searches the mind of the spirit. And in the mind of the spirit, he sees what the will of God is. In that sense, the father and the spirit are united. Are walking in unison. See, as we look at the example of Paul. And for each and every one of us, just the same way he had no idea. And the Spirit was helping him. And the same way the Spirit helps us, even in those times when we struggle, when we do not know what God's will is for us. We can, we can rejoice in this. That even though we know the necessity of prayer, and even though we struggle with it, we can rejoice that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. He knows what to pray. He knows what the mind of God is. And his intercession will be real only for us if we actually come in prayer. It's a, we cannot say, yeah, because the Spirit is interceding for me, therefore I shouldn't pray. No, that should lead each and every one of us to prayer. So a couple of uh, applications for us when we talk about struggling with prayer. As I said, first we should praise God for the intercession of the Spirit and of God. But also we should, we should remember in those times when we struggle with prayer, we should remember God's blessings for us in the past. And one thing that I've struggled to do is to keep um, a prayer diary or a journal. I, I struggle a lot with that. But whenever I do and I go back, I, I'm reminded that God truly answers prayers. And that's important for the times when we struggle to pray. Maybe you probably know of the hymn, um, Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is gone. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. When you are struggling with praying, maybe you should also think back on the things that God has done for you in the past. 
And another thing that can be very helpful for us is to pray the scriptures. That's one of the reasons why we sang Psalm 23. See, Psalm 23 is filled with a lot of prayers that we can pray. It talks about the Lord being our good shepherd. It talks about him leading us and being with us even in those dark valleys. You can open to Habakkuk and see Habakkuk's prayer. And maybe your prayerlessness can actually be connected to the fact that you do not read the Bible. It's very possible. And one of the reasons why you struggle with prayer. Because one thing that the Bible does for each and every one of us, if we are really in it, is that it leads us to prayer. Because as I said at the beginning, prayer is not something that we initiate. Prayer begins because God has begun it. And he has spoken to us in his word. And when he speaks to us, one of the very response that we have is to pray. So maybe the question you should be asking yourself is, am I really reading my Bible? And also, you can also pray for God's kingdom. We know for a certain, the Lord's prayer, we ask to pray that God's will be done on earth, that his kingdom will come. In your prayers, do you really pray if you say you truly believe that the gospel is what changes hearts? Do you really spend time? Do you really pray that the work of the gospel will actually say in your country, move on? Do you really pray for churches? There are many things for us to complain about churches. But are we really praying that the Holy Spirit will really walk in the lives of believers around the world? Do you really pray for yourself? Do you pray for greater holiness? Is that a focus for you? Do you pray for greater sanctification? Do you pray for the greater help and strength of the Spirit in the battle against sin? And also, do you pray God's promises? In Romans chapter 4, verse 21. I'll just um, read that briefly. Romans 4, 21. Talking about Abraham and his faith in God. He says, that is why, um, sorry, verse 21, fully convinced Abraham that God was able to do what he had promised. And the Bible is filled with God's promises. And when you struggle with praying, we should open your Bible and, and look at those promises and pray about them. And we have a promise in 1 John that God is faithful and just when we come to him to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise that we can hold on to. That is a promise you can hold on to even when you struggle to pray. But also a couple of cautions for us. And just like um, the, the little story I began with, 
when we come to prayer, never doubt God. Never doubt that God is able to do that which you ask him. Of course, you have to test your motives. But when you come to him, you have to come to him in faith. But also, you have to be ready to submit to his will. We are invited to to make our requests known unto him. We are not invited to name things and claim them. And so, another caution for us is don't be tempted to, to claim things. Don't be tempted to claim things that God has not promised you. But yet, be ready to to cast all your requests and your anxieties before him. But also know that God knows and understands. So just as the Holy Spirit knows our hearts, he knows our desires and he intercedes for us. God knows and he understands. And this has a link with you know, unanswered prayers, which Maybe we, we struggle with. In Luke chapter 18, where Jesus, oh, before he gave a parable in verse 1, he says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. And one thing that causes us to lose heart is when you are praying for something and it's as if God is he's not answering that. But yet know that he knows and he understands. And this leads us to a third and final point. We've seen that one, we struggle with prayer because we oftentimes in specific situations we do not know what we ought to pray for. And secondly, we do not know God's will. And thirdly, one of the reasons why we struggle with prayer is that we do not know the ultimate purpose of prayer. I don't know what characterizes most of your prayers. Is it a desire for things? Whatever that is. But what is the ultimate purpose of prayer? Is it for God to give us or to give you the things of the world in that sense? Here Paul writes, we know that for, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those, who, for, for those whom he foreknew, verse 28, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. As I said, this whole chapter is about the very work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And we see his work in our prayers. And the ultimate goal of our prayers shouldn't, to, shouldn't be to get stuff from God. The ultimate goal should be to get God because there is nothing greater than that. And the ultimate goal for us, for God, in our lives is that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. No matter what your requests are, there is nothing greater than getting God. And that is why when you have unanswered prayers, what you should rest in 
It's not just that God has something bigger for you in that specific situation. But God has a greater thing for you that you be more like Christ. In Luke 11, verse 11, Jesus said, what, who, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks him for an egg, will give him a scorpion? But if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's ultimate desire is that we have the Holy Spirit and we are filled with him. God's ultimate desire is that we are conformed to the image of his son. And so it shouldn't surprise you that prayer is not finally about getting things from him, but truly getting God. See, in response to the voice of God in our lives, Yes, prayer makes its request to him. But it's not content only to receive things. It is only content to receive God. A prayer must have him. Uh, an American preacher, John Piper, says it is not wrong to want God's gifts and to ask for them. Most prayers in the Bible are for the gifts of God. But ultimately, every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of him. When this world totally fails, the ground for joy remains God. Therefore, surely, every prayer for life and health and home and family and job and ministry in this world is secondary. And the great purpose of prayer is to ask that in and through all his gifts, God will be our joy. Is that the greatest delight of your heart? Or have you stayed away from prayer because you asked God for something and he didn't give you? Do we have access to to God as our Father? Because, as Hebrews says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We are called to, to draw near with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you haven't drawn near to God, if you are still very far away from him. Or maybe your prayer this morning should be that the very spirit will draw you close to him. And if you know him as father, will you be content to receive what he gives unto you and the greatest gift which he has given you, his son, so let's be encouraged once more to pray. Let's be encouraged to pray for ourselves, but also to pray for our church.
Because God can only walk. It's a mystery of prayer, but he truly works when his children pray. It's not that he cannot walk without our prayers, but he has designed that prayer should be a means through which he walks. A brief moment of personal prayer, then we would. I would sing together the Lord's Prayer. <laughs>